Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Today we are actually concluding our series, The Invisible Fight, and uh, if you haven't been able to be a part of that, you can always find that online. We have it available even after the fact, so um, encourage you to do that if you haven't been a part of that, but we believe that these are, this has been one of those foundational series for us. We feel like the Lord is uh, leading us in, as a church, guiding us in a particular direction, and uh, one of the things that we are becoming very, very aware of is that there is a spiritual battle occurring. And uh, one of the things I said at the beginning was none of us are exempt of it. None of us. Like you might feel like you're, you know, well, you're sophisticated, you know, you're educated, you've, you've arrived, you have financial resources or whatever you might feel about yourself that I am, I am immune to this spiritual fight that we're in. But you're not. The enemy knows you, and the enemy wants to take you out. And we've been talking about that. I encourage you to look back if you want. Um, today, we're going to talk a little bit about prayer. Before I get into that, how many of you have seen or know or have or own one of these bottles? It's, it's, got, it's like a bottle, a water bottle that has these like 8 a.m., 9 a.m., 10 a.m., 11 a.m., 12, uh, 2 p.m., 3 p.m., you like that. And I guess you can you drink it all the way down and then fill back up at at noon or whatever, 1 p.m., and then you keep drinking, and you'll drink 32 ounces of, of water in a day, or is it 64? I'm not exactly sure the, the amount, but um, this, these bottles are called motivational water bottles. Like, it's supposed to motivate you to drink water throughout the day, right? Now, I've been going to my doctor, and I, I regularly visit my doctor, and she has been on my case to let go of Diet Dr. Pepper. I admit... I admit that if you see me in a, in a social environment, public setting, I'm probably drinking a Diet Dr. Pepper along with my meal, if it's available. These, these, all these restaurants, man, they just, they got to get their act together because they don't offer it, you know. But Diet Dr. Pepper is my thing. And, um, and so she's been harassing me about that. I need to get rid of it and that I need to start drinking water throughout the day. That's what she says. And she actually encouraged me to get one of these bottles this is recorded, so I haven't yet. So I'm confessing to my doctor that I haven't gotten one of these bottles yet. But uh, uh, so, so, and she, what, she, what she's encouraged, she encouraged me to get one of these bottles, and what she says is, drink it, drink water throughout the day. If you drink water regularly, regularly throughout the day, you will feel better. Just by that, you will feel better. Some of you doctors and fit people here are like, yep, yep, yep. Um, I'm still working on the Diet Dr. Pepper, though. But yes, I think I agree that if you do drink water in this fashion, that you will feel better. Now today, over the next few minutes, we're going to be talking about prayer. And here's sort of the, the thesis that I have, is that prayer is the water for our faith. Like if you are believing God for something in your life, what's going to water that, what's going to make that actually come to reality is your application of prayer in your life. Prayer is the water for our faith. Now, we talk a lot about prayer. Most of us in this room will acknowledge that prayer is probably something that is, uh, you know, very important in the church and needed, for sure. We will acknowledge that. We will affirm that. But it rarely rises to the level of priority in our life. 
Like we might take a glass of prayer in the morning, <laughs> maybe one at night. But throughout the day, we don't really even think about it too much. In fact, we, we kind of just do our own thing throughout the day. In fact, we kind of see prayer sort of as, a, as something of last resort, like emergency purposes only. But here's what you need to understand. Prayer is where the battle is won. Prayer is where the battle is won. I'm going to say that to Cedar Rapids. Prayer is where the battle is won. Prayer is where the battle is won. And so Paul is talking to us about spiritual warfare. Like we are in a battle. None of us are exempt from this battle. And we have yet one more weapon to use. Probably the most powerful weapon in our arsenal is the weapon of prayer. And Paul starts talking about this when he kicks it off in verse 10. He says, finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. In other words, you are operating not with your strength, not with your abilities, not with your intuition or your knowledge or your, 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 your resources. I mean, we all have that, and we tend to operate in that, but that's not how we're going to win this battle. We're going to win this battle in the power of the Lord and the strength that comes from God. There's like, a, like there's a warfare happening all around us. And we're going to fight, but we're not going to fight in our own strength. We're fighting in and with the power of God. And then he kind of ends this whole section in Ephesians chapter 6, and for that matter, ends the entire book of Ephesians with this focus on prayer. And this is what he says. You need to pray for one another. And then he invites prayer for himself. That's how he basically ends this, this chapter. And the reason why is because he knows the prayer is where the battle is won. And I'm going to say that a hundred times today. And I hope it sinks in. I hope it's not just another sermon you hear and you walk out of here and pretty much do life as usual. But I hope that it sparks a desire to seek the presence of God and ask God and get, get into his presence and seek him in such a way that it's transformative for your life. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is found in Exodus chapter 17. Um, you probably know the story, excuse me. Exodus chapter 17. <clears throat> Moses and the people of Israel have left Egypt. They're on the way to the promised land. They're, uh, they're, you know, they're trying to get there, and shortly after they cross the Red Sea and they're on their way to, to the promised land, they're attacked by the Amalekites. And so now these Israelites have to go to war. But here's the problem is that they have been slaves for 400 years. They don't actually know how to fight. They've, they've not been trained for war. They, they've actually, in fact, they, because they've been slaves, they've been trained to not fight. That's been the training that they have received. And so now they have to fight against these Amalekites, and so they are in no way prepared for this battle that's in front of them. Nonetheless, Moses sends Joshua ahead onto the battlefield to fight against the Amalekites. And then Moses, while Joshua's on the battlefield, Moses and a couple of his friends, Aaron and Hur, find a nearby hill and they start climbing up this hill to, uh, you know, it, it, it might appear to these soldiers that are going to the battlefield that Moses is trying to find a, a safe place. That maybe Moses is trying not to engage in a battle, but that's not what we find. Moses climbs this hill and he gets to the top of this hill and he begins to pray for the battle that's happening down at the bottom in the valley. Shortly after that, as Moses is praying, he realizes that while his hands are raised up in the air, the Israelites are winning the battle. 
But as his hands begin to drop, as he gets tired and his hands begin to lower, he realizes they start losing ground. The Israelites start losing ground. And so he says to Aaron and her, hold my hands up. Because his arms are tired. He's tired of holding his hands up. He says to Aaron and her, hold my hands up. And as that happens, what we see is that this battle, there's this amazing victory that happens on that battlefield. But make no mistake about it. The victory didn't happen, didn't take place on the battlefield. The victory took place on that hill. The battle is the Lord's. And the weapon that was used that day, yeah, there was many weapons happening in the physical down below, but the weapon, the primary weapon used that day was the weapon of prayer. And the battle was won. And I have to tell you that I can often lose sight of the priority of prayer in my own life. You see, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been a pastor. I preach, I've been preaching for 30 plus years. Over the years, I've developed certain people skills and certain knowledge from the Bible that, that you know, somebody comes and talks to me, I can, I can wing it. I don't really need God to help me necessarily. And um, started have found myself sometimes wrongfully thinking that I can do this on my own. And I've seemed to have learned the hard way that when I'm feeling tired or discouraged or overwhelmed, when I'm struggling with sin or and temptation more than I normally do, I just know that there's a direct correlation to that struggle in my lack of prayer. I have a mentor friend that I that we commit we connect with every month. His name is Ken Roberts. He lives in near the Cleveland area in Ohio. And so we Zoom every month and it's kind of a coaching kind of session. Every single time I talk to Ken, um, we might have some pleasantries at the beginning, but then as we get into it, he, first thing he asks me is, how's your soul? Like, Rich, how is your soul right now? And um, normally I say, I'm good, you know, whatever, but on occasion I might say, man, not good. And I might be struggling with one thing or another. <clears throat> And almost without exception, every single time when I say not good, he'll say, how's your prayer life? Like he doesn't sugarcoat it for me. He doesn't give me a pass. He doesn't say, well, you're a pastor of a large church. You know, you're okay. No, it's not what he does. Because he knows, Ken knows that it is absolutely foolish on my part. To be in this position to, to, for my own spiritual walk and the leadership that I have, it's absolutely foolish on my part to think that I can do this on my own and shirk the very thing that I need more than anything else, which is prayer. He knows that. Like there's this battle going on down here. Like you and I are in a fight. I'm in a fight. And I might wake up in the morning and I say to myself, well, I'm going to go climb that hill. Because I'm in this fight, but I start climbing up the hill and I realize, I start noticing, man, there's all these other things happening. I get distracted and I might say, well, I can't climb the hill today. I'll just do it tomorrow. It's foolish. It's foolish. It's like a soldier on the front lines of the battlefield without a weapon. It's absolutely foolish. 
And so Paul challenges us to pray. In verse 18, he says, and pray in the spirit. Pastor Wayne talked a little bit about the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit yesterday. The Holy Spirit experience is pretty amazing. We're not gonna talk about that today, but that's something to be looked at. But pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Paul says on all occasions, like you're, you're hydrating throughout the day. It's not like this morning thing, you know, like, okay, I'll just have a little bit this morning and that's it. It's not like you reserve your prayer time for when I go to church on Sunday mornings, that's when I'll pray. This is a regular thing. We do it all day long throughout the day. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says this, pray without ceasing. It's this idea of continual prayer, prayer without intermission. It's like in Matthew chapter 15, there's a story of a, a Canaanite woman who comes to Jesus. She's a Canaanite. She's not an Israelite. But she comes to Jesus because she has a daughter, a teenage daughter, who is demon-possessed. This Canaanite woman has heard that Jesus heals the sick, that Jesus casts out demons. And so she comes to Jesus, hey, I need, I need your help. Jesus basically ignores her. Like, well, you know, you're not an Israelite. You're a Canaanite, so I can't help you. The disciples are like, like, you know, send her away. We don't want her here. Just send her off. But the story goes like this where she persists. She decides, I'm not going to take no for an answer. I'm going to keep pressing in. And she keeps pressing into Jesus, pressing into Jesus until finally her, persistent results, her persistence results in her daughter being healed. Last week, um, Lillian, one of our worship leaders, was uh, leading worship, Lillian Gaona, she was over here, and she, she made mention about some, you know, as she was talking about her prayer needs that she has and things that have not been fully uh, resolved yet. Like she's been praying, but God hasn't really given an answer yet, hasn't really resolved the situation yet. And she gave us a little acronym, PUSH, P-U-S-H. Pray until something happens. Persistence, persistence, persistence. So Paul's challenging us to pray all the time. Don't just reserve it for the morning or for the night, but just have an attitude of prayer all day long. And he goes on. With this in mind, as you're having this attitude of prayer all day long, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Be alert, he says. We need to, this word needs to be very clear in our mind as we think about the battle that we're in. Because this is really key. <laughs> I think part of the problems of why we are succumbing to the, to the onslaught of the enemy is that we're not alert. We're not aware. We're not conscientious of the fact that he's actually attacking us. And so Paul, in trying to help us, uses another military term. Like he's talked about the armor of God. He's talking about this battle is in the heavenlies. He's talking about all that. He's talking about military language, and he uses one more military term. Be alert. Be alert. Like Paul understands this. He's... In fact, Paul, as he's writing this letter, is in chains. He's chained to a Roman soldier. And he knows that the number one rule for a Roman soldier is don't fall asleep on the job. If you fall asleep on the job, something happens, you can be executed. Paul knows that. And so he's using, he's borrowing this military language. And the reason why is because the enemy's out there. The enemy is lurking to kill, steal, and destroy. And I'm not trying to scare you because, again, like I said at the very beginning of this series, we operate in the power of God. The victory has already been won for us. We're not fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory. We have it already, right? 
But Paul is still talking about being alert, always aware. We're watchful, we're prayerful, we're alert. I think for us, many of, for, when we think of prayer, we think of like closing our eyes and kneeling down. That's my posture, by the way. That's how I posture myself in prayer. And on Wednesday mornings, we have staff prayer, and that's my spot right there. And I kneel there, and I close my eyes, and uh, I pray. But it's interesting, the way Paul uses his language, be alert, is kind of more like eyes wide open. Now, I'm not suggesting that Paul is saying that we all need to pray from now on with our eyes wide open. Your posture can still be closed eyes. But the idea that Paul starts is con- constant awareness. Like we're consist- consistently aware of what's happening around us. Our eyes are open. Our eyes are open. Throughout your day, you have this constant awareness that there's an enemy out there lurking. And he wants to destroy your life. And so you're aware of that. He wants to destroy the life of your loved ones. And you're aware of that. And so you're praying in that fashion. All right. He says pray for all of God's people. So this weapon of prayer that we have, when Paul talks about it, this is what he says, pray for all of the Lord's people, and then he, like pray for each other, and then he says, pray also for me. So we understand, pray for, for other people. We get that, right? I think most of us understand that, that when we pray, we are typically praying for someone else, that God would help them, that God would, you know, sometimes we pray for ourselves, But what Paul does here in this passage, he models what it's like to ask for prayer. And this is key. I think we are such a self-sufficient society that we will gladly pray for someone else, but rarely ask for prayer for ourselves. And I think the key to victory in our lives, winning the victory in our lives, is that we are willing to not only pray for others, but we are willing to pray and ask for prayer for ourselves. He says in verse 19, he says, pray also for me. So pray for, he says, pray for all the Lord's people. And he says, pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Two times Paul asked for prayer. Two times he asked for prayer that he would, that he would be fearless, which tells me that maybe he was afraid. Like when we read this passage, we don't always walk away saying, oh, Paul must have been afraid. But literally, this is what he's saying. I'm in chains. My future's uncertain. I don't know what's going on. Pray that I will not be afraid. It's also worth noting what he doesn't pray for. Like if I met somebody who was in chains in prison, and I said, hey, hey, buddy, how can I pray for you? Probably he's going to say, well, can you pray that I get out of this place? <laughs> That's probably what he's going to say. Right? That's what I would pray. But that's not what Paul asks for prayer. He doesn't ask for prayer that way. He says, pray for me. You're like, yeah, I'm in chains right now. But pray for me that while I'm in chains, I will fearlessly declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. That I will stand up for him with, in faithfulness. He doesn't pray for his circumstances to change. He doesn't pray for comfort or convenience. He prays that he will be faithful and fearless. And so this is a prayer that Paul models for us a model of victory. You pray for others and you ask for prayer. So in Ephesians, Paul's calling us to be prepared. We've talked about this, right? This is a spiritual warfare that we're in. He's called us to take on the armor of God, to be fully, fully equipped with the armor of God, using the armor of God. He's called us to be alert and now he's calling us to pray without ceasing. So I want to talk a little bit about that. What What does it mean to pray without ceasing? Well, first, when we pray, we need to pray the heart of God. 
Pray for the heart of God. Like I think some of you in this room, you probably have prayer lists, right? People that you pray for. Um, individuals that make a, maybe it's a literal list, maybe it's in your mind. Some of you think about your family, your children. Particularly if you're a parent and you have children who have kind of strained away from the Lord, they're probably on your list. You probably think of them on a regular basis. So the other day I was, myself, I was praying and I don't have a literal list. I, I, do, I used to, but that list kind of dated now, so it's a different list in my head. And I was praying for my family <clears throat> and um, was praying also for my, my, my children, my wife. I have adult children now, but I have grandkids and that kind of stuff, you know, and praying for my granddaughter, who's my, one of my granddaughters who's facing some physical uh, stuff. And started praying for my wife, and, and some, almost like the, I felt like a, a vision, not a vision, it's kind of like a, an image that the Lord gave me, a moving image of, uh, as I was praying for my wife, it's like the Lord looked at me and said, oh, Rich, that list of yours is cute. <laughs> cute list. <laughs> nice names listed, you know, it's all nice. Kind of like a little pat on the head type of thing. <laughs> but Rich, you need to know but I've been with Christy, my wife Christy. I've been with Christy since the day she was born. I was there when she skinned her knee at five years old. I was there when she busted her teeth on the handlebars of that bicycle. I was there when she went through the trauma as a teenager. I was there when we were in Bangladesh and we got the phone call that her parents were getting a divorce after 35 years of marriage. I know her, I know what she needs. In fact, Rich, I have the keys to her heart and her future. Why don't you ask me what she needs and pray for that? <clears throat> that changes our prayer, doesn't it? Like I think I sometimes, I feel like I sometimes know what my family needs or what people I'm praying for need. It's like what I need them to do, so I pray that. Like, I just need them to act right, and so I'm going to pray, God, will you, will you help them to act right? And maybe that's not what God is wanting. God knows their heart. God has a plan and a purpose for their life, and so sometimes we need to submit ourselves to the plans of God, the will of God for people's lives. In fact, Jesus is teaching in Matthew 6 his disciples on prayer, and he says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's modeling what prayer is like. He's saying, God, your will, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 1 John 5.14 says, this is a confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything, and I love that word, anything. He didn't say that if we ask some things, <laughs> if we ask anything according to what? His will. He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then whatever we ask, we know that we have what, he, what we asked for. Listen, there's a lot of things I don't know about people. There's a lot of things I don't know. There's people I meet that I pray for that I don't really know what their future entails. I really don't know what God's purposes and plans are for them. I don't know all of those things. And so I submit myself to the will and the heart of God for that person. I say, God, your will be done for my life. Your will be done for my family's life. Your will be done for my friend's life. Your will be done for my, my church family. Now, there are some things that I do know about God's heart and will for, my, for me, for example, I know that he wants me to embrace the idea that I'm a son and not an orphan, right? And there's some of you in this room that you need to hear that. It's God's will for your heart and your life 
that you understand you're a son and you're not an orphan, you're not abandoned, you've not been rejected, you're loved. Do you pray that way? I know that for our children, you know, God's heart for our kids is that they be known, that they be loved. So we pray, we pray for God's heart for each, and for, for each other and for ourselves. Also, another guardrail is we need to pray for God's way. I like Isaiah 55, it says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. That's not, we, most of us are like, yeah, we, we know that. <laughs> God's thoughts are not my thoughts, right? Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So as we pray, we pray for God's way. And what I mean by that is we pray for God's wisdom, we pray for God's timing. When I pray, especially if there's an emergency in my life, it's like God now, <laughs> right, not, not, okay, God, you have your own timing, your way, yeah, but I want it now. I can pray that way. I can be convinced that that's what needs to happen right this minute. And certainly there are things that need to happen right this minute. But we pray, we submit ourselves to the way and the, to the wisdom and timing of God. It's amazing what God's wisdom and timing can do in people's lives. Uh, seven years ago, there was a, a church planner. I met, met him here at the Coral Ridge Mall. Uh, he was going to plant a church in Clinton, Iowa, and he, he reached out to me as, as looking for some support from a, another church to help him get a church plan. I said, yeah, we'll help you. Jeremiah Randall, he came and spoke at Life Church when we were in North Liberty. And then, uh, and then he went off to move to Clinton, you know, in faith to, to, to launch this church, right? And uh, I remember uh, a few months after he had moved to Clinton, he hadn't actually started the church yet. He called me and said, hey, will you come check out this building? Tell me what you think about the building. So I, I went to Clinton to check out this building that they wanted to rent as a church. And I, I, I mean, I, I wasn't even on the property when I was already saying, this is not going to work. This is ridiculous. I mean, there's like 20 parking spaces in the whole, on the whole thing. There's this nasty warehouse, dirty, smelly. I mean, it was just one big cavernous kind of warehouse that just stunk. And I just told him, I said, man, Jer Jeremiah, this is not going to work. I don't know, man. You need to think about something else. This is not going to work. It's a good thing that God's ways are not Rich Green's ways, <laughs> you know, because seven years ago, they decided to rent that facility. They cleaned it up, made it work as much as possible. But since then, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people have given their life to Jesus Christ in that building. Today, they own a property near the country club. They have a building there, and they're a church of almost 2,000 people. Sometimes we just need to submit ourselves to God's ways. He knows better in his wisdom and his timing. Also, we need to pray for his power to be manifest. Just so, you, just so you know, God does impossible things. Okay, like I think 30 of you believe that. God does impossible things. He does. There are things in my life, I wish I could tell you story after story, of they just, it was just not possible, and yet God does impossible things. So whatever impossibility you might be facing right now, just keep that in your mind. He does impossible things. We need to be praying for his power to be manifest. Verse 10, he says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Not Rich Green's power, in his mighty power. 1 Corinthians 4.20, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, 
but it's a matter of what? Of power, right? So Paul here in Ephesians, he's, he's challenging us. He's calling us to pray for one another. He's calling us to pray, also ask for prayer. He models that for us. And so, <clears throat> are you doing that? Are you praying for one another? I think that number one reason why we may not pray for other people is because we're so consumed with our own life. Like it's just really all about me. God, I need you to do something for me, for me, for me, for me. And we forget that there are people around us. So are you praying for other people? Your family, your, your church family, missionaries who come through, work in distant lands and need your prayers. One of the things that I, that I do on a regular basis now is, is I'm driving, because I spend some, quite a bit of time in my truck, and I'm driving around, names will pop into my head, and I used to just ignore it, dismiss it, whatever, but now names pop into my head, and I receive that as, as from the Holy Spirit, that I need to pray for that person. So I might say, Lord, give wisdom to Jonathan, Lord, give peace to, to Jeremiah, or, you know, those words that'll come. And it's very simple. It's not a long, elaborate prayer. It's not like me going into some theological discussion with God. It's just simply saying to God, God, you know what this person needs more than I do. And so I'm agreeing with you right now, God, that you will make your power work in their life. Praying for one another. Also, Paul encourages us and he models it by asking for prayer. All right? Remember, he was asking for prayer to, to not be fearless because maybe he was struggling with fear. This is why every single Sunday we have prayer teams here on the left and right. And I'm going to speak kind of directly to all of us, okay? We have prayer teams here for a reason because we believe what we just talked about, in the power of God to change people's lives. And that victory hap happens through prayer. <clears throat> and so part of it is Paul models this for the Ephesians and he's modeling it for us. He said, listen, I have a need now, Paul is this apostle, he's this church planner, he's this theological genius, I mean, he has all that, and yet, he still humbles himself and says, hey guys, would you pray for me? I'm a little bit afraid. And I think that really, that speaks to all of us here in this room right now. Because I think sometimes we are in the cycle, the cycle of defeat. We're in a spiritual war. We're in a cycle of defeat. We're just not overcoming, not overcoming, not overcoming, not overcoming. We think we are. We're trying in our own strength. We're trying to make, we're trying to use all kinds of other tactics and methods to try to overcome the war that we're in, but we're not asking for prayer. And if you really want to see the battle won in your life, it starts with prayer. So let's all stand. <clears throat> We're going to end today with just a, a song of worship, and our prayer teams are going to be here. And here's a challenge. It's going to be a, a, a collective commitment to pray for each other, and also a collective commitment to, to be willing to ask for prayer, to put down our pride. We're such a self-sufficient society that we don't really ever think that we need to ask for prayer. But I just really challenge you. If you want to see real victory in your life, you want to see victory in your family's life, you want to see victory in your children's life, Start asking for prayer. Amen? I believe it's the breakthrough. It's the key to breakthrough for us as a church. So um, during this worship time, prayer teams will be here. I encourage you to step out and pray with them. 
Also, uh, if you're sitting here, listen, another way that this can be done is if you're sitting next to somebody and you know that there's a need in that person's life before you leave church this morning, sit down with them, hold hands, and agree and pray with them. Or maybe you're sitting there and somebody doesn't know, but you are, there's a long line here, maybe people for the prayer team, and, and they don't know what you need, but you can look at them and say, hey, will you pray for me for this? Let's stop making prayer just that thing out there. Prayer, prayer is that fuel that we need. It's the water for our faith. Let's make it real and practical, amen? Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you, God, because we know that you're here. And we know, Father, you do big and great and amazing things. And there's some of my brothers and sisters in this room and those who are in, in Cedar Rapids right now, Lord God, that you want to do amazing things for them. You want to do the impossible for them. But Lord, it starts with prayer. So Father, will you convict us this morning to become people of prayer who continually, daily, throughout the day are seeking you, talking to you, praying for others, and asking for prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.